Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. This is a really informative conversation with a gestational surrogate. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. 
Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 149. Thank you for spending some of your time with me today. So in this episode, we are talking to Ashley Green, who is a surrogate. And I wanted to chat with Ashley because one, I know I have a lot of folks who listen who are not yet pregnant, and I thought it would be good to talk about surrogacy as an option to expand your family. Also, there may be some folks listening who are curious about being a surrogate and what it is like. So we're going to talk about uh, that perspective as well. And then the final reason I wanted to chat with her is because honestly, I wanted to know more about the topic too. It's not something that I necessarily know a lot about. So this is going to be a win-win-win for all of us. Now, Ashley is a mom of three herself, and then she's also had three surrogate babies twin girls for a same-sex male couple from Spain and a girl for a Chinese couple from Virginia who had a long struggle with infertility. She is currently the U.S. surrogacy case manager with NESA, N-E-S-A. And NESA is the new U.S. arm of a surrogacy agency called Nappy Endings that was started in the U.K. by Rachel Westbury. Rachel herself has been a surrogate to four babies. And Nappy Endings is passionate about making both intended parents and surrogates feel as comfortable and supported as possible during the process. They believe that due to sensationalized headlines, celebrity culture, and unethical practices that sometimes happen in other countries, surrogacy has not always received the positive media attention that it deserves, and they want to change that. So again, this is a great conversation for anyone who is thinking about working with a surrogate, is curious about it, or who wants to know more about being a surrogate themselves. So we talk about surrogacy from the perspective of intended parents. That is often abbreviated IP. As a matter of fact, when I was looking, you know, doing research for the episode and I kept seeing IP and in my mind, IP means intellectual property, but in the world of surrogacy, it means intended parents. We talk about surrogacy from the perspective of the surrogate. We talk a bit about the legal aspects. Spoiler alert, it is quite complex. The relationship between the surrogate and the intended parents and then how you could go about being a surrogate if you aren't interested in it. Now, one of the things that we are going to talk about is the importance of planning in this process. And you know what else is important? to plan. You know what I'm going to say? A birth plan. Yes. Making a birth plan. Making a birth plan can be a great way to help you have the birth experience that you want, especially if you're giving birth in a U.S. hospital, a system that too often takes a patriarchal approach to birth, takes away power from women over what happens in their own bodies. And for some is also racist. Of course, not all doctors and hospitals are like that, but too many are. And you don't know what's what until you do some research and plan accordingly with a birth plan made the right way. And that is what I teach in my online class, make a birth plan the right way. Now, this is way more than a template form or checklist. Those templates and forms do not tell you whether or not your doctor and hospital actually support what's in your birth plan. And in my class, I teach you questions to ask so you know that your doctor actually supports it. The hospital supports it. You know how to get folks to pay attention. You know what to include. And I teach you the one thing that most people miss about making a birth plan the right way. So you can sign up for that class at drnicolerankins.com forward slash register. All right, let's get into the conversation with Ashley. Thank you so much, Ashley, for coming onto the podcast. 
I'm really excited to talk about this topic of surrogacy. Well, thanks for having me on today. You know, I love talking about surrogacy and spreading awareness on it and any opportunity I can get to do that. I am just thrilled to have it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your work and your family, if you'd like. Sure. So I have been a surrogate twice um, in the past and I have delivered three babies. So the first set was twin girls. And then my most recent one was just about over six months ago. And that was just a one girl. Um, so I'm pretty experienced when it comes to the surrogacy realm. I see. Yeah. And then I have three kiddos of my own. Um, and then I'm married, obviously. We've been married for um, 11 years. No, okay. 10 years. Okay. Shh, shh, don't okay. tell anybody I said I was wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the longer you get married, the dates are like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been at this for a while. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's dating for 10 years before we got married. So, I'm just kind of like, it doesn't even matter now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And right now, you also um, work for a surrogacy agency, and you'll mention the links and things at Mm -hmm. the end called Nappy Nappy Endings. Is that correct? Um, That's what they go by in the UK. In the United States, they go by Nessa. Obviously, Nappy has a very negative connotation in the United States. So mm-hmm. they try to be very aware of that. Gotcha. And they switched our agency name to Nessa over here. Okay. Okay. All right. So how did you first come to be a surrogate? Um, so this journey actually wasn't kind of something I just jumped into. It was something that my husband and I had discussed for years. Interesting. Um, yeah. The very first time it ever came onto my radar even was when I was pregnant with our second son. Uh-huh. Um, well, our second kid, our first son. And it was in 2012. And I had a friend who was also pregnant at the same time, and she was a surrogate. Um, So we went through our pregnancies together. And I got to watch her journey. And I was kind of like, that's absolutely incredible. Like, if I can do that, I would love to do that. Right. Uh, But it was, you know, also given to us that if you want to be a surrogate, you really should be done with your own biological family. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of like we put it on the back burner. We're like, we'll come back to this when we're done having kiddos. And so after our third kiddo was born, we were done. We were like, we got three. <laughs> I don't want any more. <laughs> right, right, right. My husband's like, I don't want any more. And because our two youngest are exactly 18 months apart. Okay. So I was just like, whew, that's a lot of kiddos. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So we tabled it and we we would revisit it every once in a while, even after our youngest was born, kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, so when when should we get back to this? And for me, I was like, well, I want to wait until the youngest is, you know, pretty much self-sufficient, at least out of diapers, I guess. Right. <laughs> and so because I know that being pregnant, it takes a lot away from mm-hmm. your current kiddos anyways. So I wanted to make sure that they could, you know, do a lot of things on their own before I invested my time, energy, body, emotions into another family. Um, so that's what we did. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what I want to do is talk about the process um, from the perspective of both the intended parents a little bit, mm-hmm. and then the perspective from, of being a, the surrogate a little bit. Sure. So let's start with the process from the perspective of intended parents. Uh, and I had to look up what that was. I saw IP <laughs> on the, on the website and I was like, what does IP mean? It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it now. So what steps should someone or a family or a couple, I guess, um, who's looking who wants to be a parent through surrogacy, what does that process kind of look like 
for them, a, sort of a broad overview. I know it's hard right. to get into all the details, but sort of an overview of that process. Sure. Um, gosh, when it comes to independent parents, my heart goes out to them so much. You never come to surrogacy as your first choice mm -hmm. of building your family, mm -hmm. especially our traditional couples. Um, our gay, our gay dads kind of know, hey, this is going to be either this or adoption. Right. That's going to be our family route. Um, but you know, our traditional couples that come to us, they've already experienced so much heartbreak on mm -hmm. this journey of becoming parents where we are pretty much their final, like, this is it. Right. If this doesn't happen, we're not going to be parents. Right. Um, so their steps really look through their eyes is, you know, multiple losses, mm -hmm. um, sometimes unexplained fertility, infertility issues. Mm -hmm. And they will, you know, oftentimes go through IVF themselves, um, still not be able to either conceive or carry their pregnancy to term. Right. Um, but we also have some who already have children uh, and for some reason or another, something had happened after they had their last child, you know, mom had to have a hysterectomy or something like that, that caused fertility issues. So usually they don't come to us until they've already gone through that process right. and they've been to a reproductive endocrinologist, which is a doctor who specializes in fertility. Mm -hmm. um, so they usually already have their clinic. They've already gone through that whole medical process with their doctors. Um, I always suggest, I, you know, if you're coming to an agency, like I work for an agency, um, you know, some, some of them come to us where they don't have embryos created. They don't even have an IVF clinic. And this is kind of like, how do I do this? And we will support you in that decision, you know, trying to find you clinics close to you or close to you wherever you want to be. Um, and, you know, they'll go through that process with their doctor. They'll make embryos. They'll um, sometimes they have embryos tested for genetic abnormalities. Sometimes they don't, you know, and then they'll freeze those embryos. Typically you have a, um, a frozen transfer. Sometimes there's fresh transfers, but it's typically frozen that I've seen in our agency. Gotcha. And, you know, so by the time that they come to us, they've already completed all these steps that I'm not even involved in. And I just couldn't even imagine, you know, some of the things that they have gone through. Right, right, right. So by then they, they you, typically they're, they're, they know that they've done all of the things and this is the last option for them, like, like you said, mm -hmm. and, and then I guess, is there some sort of, um, is there like a screening process for intended parents or to make sure that they're a right fit for surrogacy? Like I can imagine that there's some sort of psychological aspects mm -hmm. that are involved in it as well. Do the intended parents have to go through any of those kinds of things? Or is it kind of like you're here? We know that based at least on like typically going through IVF, folks have gone through some things. Like how does that process look like or work? So once they come to us as parents, um, I feel like all agencies, we run background checks on our parents and mm -hmm. our surrogates. Mm -hmm. We run, we do a psychological screening. I personally don't. We obviously sure, have a sure, professional sure. run yeah. <laughs> um, psych screenings on parents and surrogates because we want to make sure, one, um, the parents are, I shouldn't, I, this sounds terrible, but mentally stable enough in, in this process that the babies, when they're born, are going to a loving, safe home. Yeah obviously, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, and, and surrogates too want to make sure, Hey, is this child going to a loving, safe home? Right. Um, 
So we just make sure that there's no criminal records. Um, the mental health professional provides us with a report saying, yes, at this point in time, they the parents understand, you know, they're going through surrogacy, what all that entails. They are, you know, okay to continue. Gotcha. So we always get those clearances before we even would match them with a surrogate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. And then how long does it typically take to match with the surrogate? So typically I've seen wait lists out there between nine months to 18 months. Oh, wow. Uh, depending on, yeah, I mean, surrogates are in pretty short supply right now, uh-huh. um, especially with COVID and uh-huh. now um, different clinics requiring, you know, COVID vaccinations sure. um, for our surrogates. And there are still some surrogates out there who are like, absolutely will not get vaccinated. And there are clinics who state no vaccination, no medical clearance, no surrogate. So it's it's tough to find women one willing to be a surrogate in the first place mm-hmm. and then two willing to jump through the hoops now because of covid it's it's just a lot um not saying it's impossible obviously mm-hmm. there's still journeys going on every day sure it's just more difficult in covid as opposed to pre-COVID. Gotcha. So at least nine to 18 months. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then once you are matched with a surrogate, how involved are the intended parents in the pregnancy and the birth? Um, So we, as as, um, Nessa, we believe parents, you get to control as much of this as you want. Um, There's so much out of their control as is, you know, you're you're counting on somebody else to basically take care of your child for Mm -hmm. the next nine months. You have a lot of trust in that woman. And so there's so many other things that you can't control. We want to make sure that whatever, however involved you want to be, that everybody's on the same page. So we have some intended parents who are like, you know, I want to be at all the appointments. I want to, which is hard again during COVID because sometimes you're only allowed, you know, sometimes no support person at appointments, sometimes one. Sure. Um, So we we try to make accommodations, FaceTime, phone calls, anything like that. And then you have other parents who are like, you know, I really only want maybe weekly contact, some of them maybe monthly contact, you know. I had one intended parent who she's like, I just want to show up at the hospital and pick up my baby. And oh. I was like, well, okay. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a hard time matching you, but you know, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> um, you know, so it just, it really just depends on what the parents are looking for out of the journey. 
And when we interview parents and surrogates, we ask those matching type of questions, those match points, like Uh what kind of journey are you looking for? How much contact do you want with your surrogate? How much contact do you want after the birth with your surrogate? Um, Same thing with the surrogate, kind of like what kind of journey are you looking for? How much contact do you want? Do you want contact after birth? That kind of stuff. So we would only match parents and surrogates who have pretty much the same answers to those questions. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I'm intentionally going to skip over the legal aspects because I know that that can be quite complicated. Or maybe you can tell me something different, but I figured you have to check (laughs) state by state um, because it can be very complex. It is. I I can go into a little bit. I mean, I'm not a legal, I'm not a legal professional, so I can't give advice. Um, Not only does it vary state by state, but some states is county by county. Oh, wow. Um, And it's not even where the surrogate lives. It's where the surrogate's going to give birth. Okay. (laughs) So um, for instance, me, I live in Iowa, but I live right on the border of Illinois. Uh Um, So I've always given birth to the surrogate, my surrogate babies. Well, the surrogate babies, they're not mine, obviously, um, in Illinois, because Illinois surrogacy laws are far more lenient than Iowa surrogacy laws. Gotcha. So, you know, it's really dependent on kind of where the babies are are planning to be born at, well, where their the parents, the surrogate, have all agreed to birth the babies. Um, so, and like I said, even state to state, sometimes different states have different laws based on the county that uh-huh. the baby's going to be born in. So it's crazy. Um, and it is complicated. Those, those contracts are 60, sometimes 70 pages long, simply because they want to attempt to cover any eventuality that may come up during the pregnancy and and birth. And they are incredibly in-depth. And your lawyer, the IP's lawyer and the surrogate's lawyer will go over that contract with each one of their their clients sentence by sentence. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is one of the biggest pieces of advice I always give to my surrogates and my intended parents is make sure you understand that contract. You be comfortable with everything in that contract because that is the legally binding document in this case. Everything will be deferred to that contract. If you ever have a question, anything comes up, you know, it's always going to be, let me check the contract, contact your attorneys, um, and it's basically the the outline of how to handle these situations if you aren't really sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. And um, I imagine, obviously, your agency has a lawyer, but do you recommend that or do intended parents typically have a lawyer as well at this point? Um, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. We okay. work with um, a really great attorney who's based in L.A., mm-hmm. Uh, and we also um, can recommend attorneys based on locations of surrogates and intended parents. Uh, I say that because the um, surrogate's attorney should be licensed in whatever state she's going to give birth in. Right. Um, so when I was going through my journeys, my attorney was licensed in Illinois. Um, so just because like the the laws are so different, you want to make sure you have an attorney familiar with the laws of the state uh, you're going to give birth in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And I guess it also is probably complicated because I'm sure it's theoretically possible that like you could be in Iowa and your intended parents could be anywhere in the world, even, or even if, even if in the U S they could be in California or they could be in Texas or they can be wherever. 
Absolutely. My first set of intended parents live in Spain. Okay. So yeah, I definitely know how that goes. And then actually my second set of the intended parents that I just gave birth um, to their daughter, they live in Virginia. And so here I am in Iowa, there they are in Virginia. And then the dads from my first journey are in Spain with their daughters. So it's very, you know, it changes so much, you know, I mean, gosh, it's just so variable. And then there's so many different things that um, as an intended parent or even as a surrogate, this is why you use an agency, because there are so many things that you don't know, you know, and you can't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's what agencies are here to do is to kind of alleviate that burden. Like we've done this so many times. We know what to look for. We know what to expect. We know what the laws are. We know how to find you the people and the other professionals to help you on this journey to make it as smooth as possible. Gotcha. 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 So let's talk about a little bit more about the perspective of uh, doing it from the surrogate side. Mm -hmm. So um, how one, how does somebody even like go about being a surrogate and what makes um, someone a good candidate to be a surrogate? Um, so my first answer to this is always research, 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 um, because surrogacy is an ever changing world. Um, I was part of several surrogacy groups on Facebook before I even looked into more in depth into like applying to an agency and so forth. Because again, if you've never done it, you have no idea what to, what kind of questions to ask, what kind of things to look for, what are the red flags? You know, you don't know those things. So when you follow these surrogacy groups on Facebook, so many people share their experiences and you can kind of read them and say, oh, okay, I didn't know I needed to ask for that. Or, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't know that that was something I should stay away from or anything like that. So it's always recommended as a surrogate that you do about six to 12 months of research before you even apply to agencies. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, you will always have surrogates who are like, Psh, I don't need to do that. And they'll just jump right in. Right. But this is a life changing decision. Uh, I know that as a surrogate, you're not bringing home the baby, but it's still, you're growing a baby. You are you know, legally obligated and bound by that contract. Mm -hmm. You are for the next nine months or however, it's typically a year just simply because of medical clearance and then transfers and birth and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're, you're committing to, you know, 12 to 18 months of your life to this one goal. And it, it's a lot. And you want to make sure that you are prepared for that. So always do your research. Um, and then the second thing is, it, when you apply to agencies, interview agencies. You know, every agency does things just a little bit differently. They have, you know, different teams. They have different people. Sometimes you just click with people. Sometimes you don't. And you always want to make sure for IPs and surrogates as well, your agency has your back. There's a reason why you're using an agency, you know, and you want to feel like, hey, they're there to support me. They're there for me if I have a concern or if I have a problem. And this goes for both IPs and surrogates. I mean, if there's anything that's going poorly in your journey, your agency is there to mediate that. Mm -hmm. And if they can't, they can refer you to those mental health professionals who can help you. And there will be, there could be some joint counseling sessions if there's any kind of issues that come up. Um, so you want to make sure that like when you're going interviewing agencies, they're a good fit for you and they're what you're looking for. 
Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then, so what is the process? Someone decides that they, they want to be a surrogate, they did their research, they get accepted by an agency. And I guess, do you, how, uh, l- l- let me back up and say, do you have, do you have a sense for how many people go through an agency versus outside of an agency and do it independently? I have seen um, independent journeys. Uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's more rare than people using agencies. Got it. And I, I would only say that simply because most of the time, independent journeys, they don't put themselves out there as much as agency mm-hmm. journeys do. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like, oh gosh, because I was with an agency. So I was, you know, part of their surrogacy group on Facebook and a part of their agency group on Facebook. And even, you know, some of the transfer, you also have transfer groups on Facebook for your, as a surrogate, hey, there's other surrogates transferring in the same months as you. So, you know, we make a group on Facebook so we can all connect. And most of my experience has been agencies. Um, it's kind of changed a little bit over, I would say the last six months, just kind of following along that, um, independent journeys are becoming more common, um, because I feel like, you know, parents are kind of like, Hey, if I can do this without an agency, it's going to Mm -hmm. save me money. So why don't I do that? And I feel like they're kind of being more vocal about it as opposed to previously where it was just like, Oh, everybody goes through an agency. Okay. 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 But still probably, I, I can imagine that it, I don't know, it feels e- easier or safer to go through an agency, but I guess it's dependent on the person. Right. Um. So then once you get selected by an agency, I presume you have to go through some sort of medical and psychological screening. Right. So once you, so the way our agency works is you can reach out to us. We're all on Facebook. The founders are on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can just reach out to us on Facebook if you want to be a surrogate. And we will just do like kind of like a preliminary Zoom call with you and be like, hey, here we are. Let's answer any questions you have. I'll explain the process to you. Um, that's before we even make them apply. Uh, and to be a, a surrogate, you have to fill out an application. Mm-hmm. It's a very in-depth application. I mean, it asks you for your pregnancy history, any complications, any medical concerns you have, any anything like pretty much your entire health history and your you know your family history. Right. And are you married? Who do you live with? Who lives with you? Um, where do you work? Do you have insurance? I mean, it's just, it's very in-depth. It takes almost 20 minutes probably. I mean, and that's I, 20 minutes in the grand scheme of the surrogacy journey seems small, but I mean, that's just your intake application. Mm-hmm. That's just the very first step. Mm-hmm. And so we try, we have several surrogates because I screen our applications personally. And we have several surrogates who don't even make it past my application screening okay. um, simply because there's certain answers on there. Because one of the questions on there is, would you follow doctor's orders during your pregnancy? That kind of situation. And some some surrogates are like, no, you know, I'm going to do what I want. And I'm like, well, that's you're not a good candidate. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, um, I think another one on there is like, would you undergo amniocentesis if it was medically recommended? And some surrogates are like, nope. And I'm like, well. <laughs> Again, not a good candidate because mm-hmm. you have to, as a surrogate, I mean, you are legally bound to follow doctor's recommendations for this pregnancy. Right. So there are some on questions on there where it's a straight no from me if they answer a specific way. There are other questions on there where if they answer no to one of those questions, I'll kind of get a clarification from them like, hey, this is why we're asking this question. 
if this instance comes up, would you be willing, you know, and sometimes they change their answers. Sometimes they're like, no, want a holistic natural pregnancy, don't want medications, don't want to do this, this, and this. And I was like, we're not the agency for you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just, it's a very in-depth application process. And once we have the application, we will schedule another Zoom call with our surrogates, kind of. Um, I call those the intake phone calls where, hey, got your application, your answers look great, here's the next steps. And even then, those next steps are, I will send them out an email with all the releases and all the paperwork that they, again, need to fill out just to be in, you know, brought into the agency. And that paperwork would involve like a medical release signing so I can attempt to get their medical records from Mm -hmm. their past pregnancies and birth. Mm -hmm. Um, A background check authorization because we run background checks on our surrogates, their spouse, and anybody over the age of 18 living in their household. Sure. So... We need one uh, one of those authorizations from everybody in that household who I'll be running a background check on. Um, and we also send out what's kind of like a fee sheet. So it's industry standard fees that surrogates can ask for. Um, and I send them out there. It's pre-populated, like the fees. If they ever want to change anything, they're more than welcome to. We let surrogates set all of their own compensation requests. So, And the reason why we do that is when we match that surrogate with an intended parent, nobody's shocked at what the surrogate's going to ask for. Um, it makes contracts go a lot smoother when everybody's on the same page as far as compensation. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and from there, then I would, um, after they fill out all of those paper papers, send them back to me, I will request their medical records and medical record requests are ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh my gosh, they are awful. And with COVID, it's even worse. And it's just, it takes forever. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. It really does. So there are times where I'm like, I, I'll contact our surrogate and be like, hey, can you go to, you know, your doctor's office or the hospital and sign a release to set, have them send the records to me? Um, simply because as an agency, you don't want to receive records from your surrogates personally because you never know if they're altered. So you want to make sure you're getting those records um, directly from, you know, the hospital or the doctor's office themselves. Oh, wow. Wow. So this is very, very serious for sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then what are the responsibilities of the surrogate? And you talked about a bit, um, you talked about this already a bit, but during the pregnancy and birth, it sounds like they really have to do whatever is medically recommended. So we recognize in the contracts, even it says these are the intentions. However, we recognize, you know, on t- autonomy of our surrogate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are choices that can be made that, you know, it's because it's her body. Uh, she gets to make those choices, whether it's contractually obligated to make those or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I always say, make sure you know what's in that contract and you're comfortable with it. Because again, there are legal ramifications if you don't follow your contract. Um, Got it. When I say that, I, I'm kind of referring to the fact where it's called a breach of contract. Either way, if the parents do something that they shouldn't be doing, or if the surrogate does something that is you know, not following their contract, it's called a breach of contract. And that can open up a lawsuit. Um, it can also stop surrogates compensation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's hard because again, we recognize autonomy at the same time, you are legally, you know, obligated to follow your contract. So um, it, it's a fine line to walk. It for sure is. Uh, but, 
normally surrogates don't go into a surrogacy going, I'm going to do what I want. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? right. They go into it with the ultimate goal of I am giving this family the, a, a gift that nobody else can. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me personally, as a surrogate, that, that for me was like, it's my responsibility to keep this baby safe and healthy gotcha. until I can turn it over. Gotcha. Uh, and I always say it's almost like this internal pressure. Nobody puts this pressure on you. Your agency doesn't. The parents don't. It's you yourself going, this has to go perfectly because they've already experienced so much heartbreak and so much heartache that this needs to go perfectly. Um, and it's just this this inside pressure where you're like, I need this to go well. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, and you always have those instances, you know, for one reason or another, there's a miscarriage or a failed transfer or any other kind of, you know, abnormality of, of the, the baby. Um, and we recognize those are out of your control, mm-hmm. you know, but it's still as a surrogate, you're like, can I cuss on this? Sure, go for it. Because <laughs> okay. as a surrogate, you're just like, damn it. Like, yes. <laughs> why? You know, like, mm. <laughs> you know, because, you know, you come to surrogacy as a surrogate knowing you can grow babies. I mean, knowing this is what your body can do. It's it's done it before. And when it doesn't work out, especially when other people's hopes and dreams are are on this pregnancy, you're just like, son of a bitch. Like, yeah. what is going on? Yeah. Um, I actually had that with my last journey where they only had two embryos and we transferred the one and everything was going fine. And then we had our first trimester screens and the AFP came back elevated, which could be signs of spinal bifida and, you know, other issues. And, and for me as, you know, the surrogate, I was devastated. I was like, what? No, no, that's not okay. God, we need to talk about this universe because they want this baby so badly. She needs to be perfect. So I mean, you know, I, I broke down crying and it's not my baby, it's sure. just, but it's still this responsibility that you feel that, oh, they are counting on you to do these things. And it's, like I said, I couldn't imagine, you know, the, the journeys that the parents have walked up to this point with those kind of losses. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. gotcha. You know, it just, it just opens up your eyes to a whole different realm of emotions that you don't think you were, you would ever have, but you do, because again, you want it to go well. Mm-hmm. You want to give these parents their dream. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't and there's bumps in the road, it's just kind of like son of a gun. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. 
Your support will help cover production and team cost and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So you, I'm guessing you do a lot in that pre-screening process to Mm -hmm. identify people who are coming from a place of, I want to help um, and, and you, and they should be compensated for it, but they want to help, but they're not, they're not coming from the place of I'm just trying to make some money Mm -hmm. and, and can I do this to make some money? I'm guessing you try and screen to find people who are actually committed to the, the servant piece Mm -hmm. or wanting to really be help helpful, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot of what the psych screening does as well. Uh It kind of, it kind of weeds out those people who are like, I'm just here for the money. Um, Now I'm not going to lie. The compensation is helpful, especially with you as a surrogate have a financial goal that you want to meet. Sure. Um, You know, it's, it's helpful. And anybody who's like, I'm, I, I would do it for free. I God bless you. Right. Because holy cow, it's a lot. Right. And it's, it is a lot. Right. Uh, and there are all, there are altruistic surrogates out there who are like, I don't want any compensation. Just pay the, the medical bills that are associated with it. Right. And, you know, and those women like hats off to you ladies, you are angels on earth because wow. <laughs> I just, just, wow. It just, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it is a lot. I, I, I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with being compensated mm-hmm. for it. It's, 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 a it's, it's a lot, um, emotionally and physically. So I guess what, why don't we, um, um, address that? Like how mm-hmm. much money can, what are typical rates someone could get paid for being a surrogate? So at our agency and most, well, a fair percentage of agencies, mm-hmm. we let surrogates set their own base compensation. Okay. Um, well, when I say base compensation, I am referring to just the compensation that she gets for being pregnant and carrying the baby. Okay. Um, there are other fees outside of base compensation, like medical, like, well, medication start fee when she starts injections or transfer fees or, and you know, I've even seen things like contract signing fees, which mm-hmm. I'm at that point, I'm like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you signed a contract. You knew going into this, you were going to sign a contract. I mean, yeah. like, I, there are some times where I look at some of the fees surrogates send to me and I'm just like, mm, no, right, right, no, no, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and then, you know, so there are those outside of the base compensation, but the base compensation usually for a first time surrogate, I would say with non surrogate friendly insurance mm-hmm. would be about thirty thirty thousand $30,000. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and with, I would say a California surrogate who maybe even a first time California surrogate with, um, surrogacy friendly insurance, it can be upwards of $50,000. Okay. And it's, it's, it's very variable. I mean, it's variable on what kind of insurance you have, what kind of job you have. Sure. Um, 
are you experienced? Are you not experienced? Where you live? Um, just because, you know, based on the laws, is it easier for the parents to gain parentage or do they have to go through more legal steps? Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Also, the California surrogates are in really high demand right now because we have a lot of Chinese IPs. And they want California surrogates because that's just a quick flight from China. Well, quick, 16, what, 20 hours <laughs> um, from China to California. Right, right. <laughs> so much quicker than, say, China to New York. Um, so a lot of our Chinese IPs are wanting California surrogates. And the way supply and demand works, if demand goes up and your supply is down, price goes up. Sure, so, sure, sure. Okay. So, I mean, you can make a reasonable amount right, of money being absolutely. a surrogate for sure. So then how much does it cost for intended parents? Then? Oh, God. So this question is always the most difficult when parents ask me this, mm-hmm. simply because there are so many variables. Right. So when I give you this range, you're going to be like, it's $60,000 difference. Like, how is that possible? Right. So typically with an agency, um, intended parents can spend anywhere between 80000 to 140000 Mm-hmm. It depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't surprise me. I and mean, when you take into account lawyer fees, agency, exactly. you know, all of those things, medical, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, or whatever. So yeah, yeah. So what goes into that then? I guess I kind of mentioned a few things. but <laughs> Right. So obviously agency fee. Um, then you also have lawyer fees, mm-hmm. your IVF clinic fees, mm-hmm. medication fees, mm-hmm. because the surrogate's medication isn't covered by insurance. That's paid out of pocket by the parents when we were talking about, you know, medications for transfer, progesterone, estrogen, all of those injectable medications, um, or anything up until pregnancy is confirmed is paid for by the parents out of pocket. It's not covered by insurance at all. Um, So it's expensive. I would have to say, gosh, I got a bill one time for one of my my journey last, this last journey. And one vial of my medication was $600. Yeah, it can be expensive. Very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it varies so much because, you know, you have agency fees, IVF clinic fees, medication fees, lawyer fees. Um, and then you have surrogate's based compensation, any of her fees, um, lost wages, because if your surrogate's working, mm. you'll be paying her lost wages. If she's married and the spouse needs to go to any appointment, you have to pay his lost wages or her lost wages if the, their partner, their partner's lost wages. Wow. Um, you have to pay those. If your surrogate goes on bed rest for some reason during the pregnancy, I mean, there are, you know, you pay lost wages for her to be on bed rest. You pay a house cleaning charge so somebody can come up and clean our house, child care charges so somebody can watch her children because she's on bed rest because she's pregnant. She can't do these things. So it's that's why it varies so much because if you have, you know, a surrogate, you transfer two embryos, one of those embryos splits into triplets, like 13 weeks, that surrogate's going to be on bed rest for the next 20 weeks, like 20 weeks. So it's a lot. So obviously... From the perspective of an intended parent, you have to be pretty wealthy or have some sort of means in right. order to to work with a surrogate. I mean, and that's not, I'm not surprised by that. It's what mm-hmm. it is, what it is. Um, and in our, you know, society, even IVF for some people oh, can yeah. be, you know, cost prohibitive. But now, you know, but now we know. Now we know. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and I wanted to circle back uh, to what happens after the child is born and like the transfer between the the surrogate and the intended parents and then also like how involved is the surrogate in the child's life after mm-hmm. birth sure 
Well, I would say as soon as the baby is born, mm-hmm. as soon as as soon as that baby is born, the intended parents are the guardians, the legal guardians. Um, they make all the medical decisions, all the legal decisions for that child. Um, um, for both of my births, uh, the parents were right there in the room with me. Okay. Um, and that was even with COVID this last time because I just gave birth in March. Uh, so it was my husband in there and the baby's mom and dad. Um, not typical during COVID right sure. now. Um, sometimes you're only allowed one support person, sometimes none. However, our hospital, because it was a surrogacy and they knew that, they do allow the parents to be in there as well because of that reason. I mean, as soon as that baby is born, those parents are the medical power of attorneys. They need to be there if there is a medical decision that needs to be made for that child. Um, so as soon as that baby is born, like it was even... They basically cut the umbilical cord, took her over to the warmer, wrapped her up, made sure she was okay, gave her to the parents. Okay. Like, okay. it's nothing, like, this is not my baby. Even after, um, what, what they it has to be a question after this, my last, the last surrogacy uh, about the baby. And I was like, I don't know, ask her mom. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm done. Right. I birthed her. I am done. Gotcha. <laughs> like, gotcha. So that's very clear. And that's established ahead of time that everybody knows, the hospital mm-hmm. knows, that everybody knows, like these yep. are the intended parents. Okay. Okay. Yep. And then what about um, breast milk or breast, like do surrogates ever like pump or provide mm-hmm. breast milk for the child afterwards? So all of these, situations are all covered in the contract before you even go to transfer, including breast milk. Um, So for me, I breastfed all of my babies. Um, The last couple, listen to me, the last couple, (laughs) (laughs) like I have seven. My last two, breastfeeding was difficult for me um, and pumping was difficult for me. So going into these surrogacy journeys, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I will not breastfeed. I will not pump. Um, Other surrogates are like, absolutely, I'll breastfeed in the hospital if you want me to. I'll pump if you want me to. Uh, It's it's a very personalized choice um, between surrogates and parents. And you can go either way. Yes, you will. No, you won't. Sometimes I will. Sometimes I won't. It's all written in that contract. Um, And if after the baby is born, you change your mind, you can always amend the contract. Or it even says in there kind of like, the intent is to breastfeed. However, if surrogate decides not to breastfeed, kind of like, okay, you know, like it's one of those, you're not obligated to do it. Um, you can, if you want, you can, if you don't want to. So it's just, it's very a personal decision. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So really the contract is like, the goal, like that's it's like, like the holy where, grail of surgery. Yes, where everything, <laughs> yeah. everything goes back to is that contract. Mm-hmm. Everything with what happens if there are problems in the pregnancy, yep. what happens if the baby's born early, yep. what happens, all, all of those things are covered in great detail in the contract everything that and that's why it's so important to get a um, lawyer who is experienced in third party reproduction mm-hmm. because they've seen it. Or if they haven't seen it, they've heard of somebody who's seen it. And, um, you know, they know what to put in there, how to word it, because they've been there. They've seen it. They've seen these situations come up there. They're like, okay, from now on, we need to put that in there. Um, You know, and always, always, always make sure that your attorney is very well experienced in not only surrogacy, but third-party reproduction in general, um, just just to make sure that they are they know what to look for. They know what to put in there. They know what situations can come up, have come up, will come up. 
Um, so they, they're very good at what they do. And I, I love those attorneys. <laughs> and I guess third party reproduction would that cover other things like egg donation or things yep. like that or, okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes, you know, parents need egg donors and sperm donors. Mm-hmm. Um, some parents adopt other people's embryos. Mm. So these embryos are not even biologically related to the parents. They will be transferred into the surrogate, which causes a whole nother mess of issues because um, <laughs> in some states, the surrogate has to know either the egg donor or the sperm donor, like they have to know them in order for the clinic to transfer those embryos. So it's, it's very... Again, third-party reproduction. You need people who are very good at their jobs. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, do surrogates ever do egg donation also? Um, You can. um, Egg donation, there is a cutoff um, for age. Typically, egg donors are younger. Surrogates tend to be a little bit older because you want a surrogate financially stable. You also want her in a stable living condition. Um, And that typically comes, not to knock those 22-year-olds, but... You know, financial stability, home stability, things like that tend to come a little bit later than 22. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said recommend being done with childbearing. Themselves. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That you kind of want to be done with your own family because secondary infertility is a thing too, where your surrogates could go through, be a surrogate, and sometimes the hormones and things that require that you're required to take or inject can cause infertility in the surrogate mm-hmm. or if something were to go wrong during the pregnancy or something and she needs to have, you know, an emergency hysterectomy. I mean, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. It really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always recommended that you as a surrogate are done because if you're not, you might be the intended parent the next time. Gotcha. 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 So then as we wrap up, what would you say is the most frustrating part of your work? Oh God. Um, watching people not be able to come parents like they have been there they've done it they've done everything that they're supposed to do mm-hmm. and for some reason transfers just don't work gotcha. um it's it's so heartbreaking for me because i'm like you have walked this road so long and this is it like this this you you know say they could only go in for one egg retrieval on mom and you know she only gets three embryos and they've transferred those three and she can't go back in you know that's it mm-hmm. like aside from adopting embryos or having an egg donor and husband's sperm or um something like that i mean that's this is financially you know they probably can't go any further like it's frustrating because everybody, everybody deserves to be a parent. And when for some reason the universe just doesn't line up for those people, it's just, it's frustrating for me. So I couldn't even imagine what they would feel like. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work? And I can probably guess that, but what's (laughs) what's the most rewarding part? Oh God, making families. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to be on this journey with parents who are putting absolute trust and faith in you as, you know, an agency. Hey, I know you can do this. I know you will get me the right surrogate. I know you will provide me with the right resources. At the end of the day, you will be a key in making sure that, you know, everything goes smoothly. I have the journey I want. And at the end of the day, I have a baby. Um, It's incredible. It's, gosh, like, 
So at NASA, we're new. We haven't had a birth yet. We actually have our first transfer in December, which I'm freaking excited about. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but like, even as a surrogate, like just knowing that you're giving these parents something that one, they didn't think they would ever have. Um, I'm going to cry talking about it just because I love, 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 love it. I love that feeling. Right. Um, my favorite thing to say is there are not enough words in the English language to accurately describe the feeling of watching those parents see their babies for the first I'm time. I'm sure. I'm sure. None. I'm sure. Uh, this last birth, like um, my first journey was a gay couple. And the second journey was a traditional couple and just the emotional difference between going from this gay couple who hasn't experienced loss after loss to a traditional couple who has experienced loss after mm. loss where they're just so reserved and they're afraid to hope. I'm sure. Like they're like, we've been here. We don't, we know what happens and it's not good. You know, right. like just know, like there's a video of mom's face. My husband took this video of mom's face the very first time she's like watching her baby be born. And I love that video. I just cherish that video because like there are tears like streaming down her face because she is just like, it's happening. Aww. This is happening. I love it. You know, and it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. It's so I awesome. Bet, I bet. I bet. <laughs> so then what is your favorite piece of advice you would give about surrogacy, whether it's for intended parents or for those who may be thinking about being a surrogate, what would your favorite piece of advice be? Oh, my favorite piece of advice. It's worth it. Mm. You know, it's worth it. I, like I said, it's frustrating when it doesn't work out, but just keep pushing if you can, because there are definitely times where parents are like, I don't know if I can keep going. I've experienced so much loss and heartache. I don't know if I can keep going. And then they do. And that's the one that works. That's the one that gets them their baby. Right. Or, you know, it's, so it is worth oh. it. It's hard. It's grueling. It's sometimes awful and it's tearful and it's an emotional roller coaster. But God, is it worth wow. it? Wow. Love that. Love that. So, where can people find you and your agency? Um, so like I said, me and the founders, Rachel and Ursula, we're all on Facebook and we're pretty active in our Facebook groups. Um, but there's also our agency website, which is nessagency.com. And then we have one that's like Nessa underscore USA um, for our agency on Instagram as well. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sure. agreeing to come onto the podcast. This is a really informative conversation. I know I learned a lot and I know the folks listening will have learned a lot as well. Awesome. Thank you again for having me on. Like I said, I love talking about this. I love answering questions like making families is my passion. So ask any questions. I will answer it to the best of my ability. <laughs> So wasn't that a great and really informative conversation? I learned a lot about surrogacy and I'm sure you did too. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top three or four or five, sometimes, <laughs> depends, takeaways from the conversation. And here are my takeaways from my conversation with Ashley. Number one, Again, when I was doing research for this episode, I saw some stories of things like people doing sort of more like informal 
surrogacy arrangements. It's not common, but I just want to say, please don't, don't do that. That can be a recipe for disaster. You really want to pay attention to the details of the pro- of this process, pay attention to the legal aspects, get a lawyer involved. Yes, it's a long process. Yes, it's a very expensive process, but you want to dot all your I's and cross all your T's so there aren't any surprises if this is the road that you decide to, to go on. Number two, I want to say a word about surrogacy versus adoption. I know there are some folks who will say like, why do you go through all this trouble to find a surrogate when you could just adopt a child? And there are a lot of children who need to be adopted into loving homes. And to that, I would just say that it is really, really a personal choice. And everyone has to make the decision that works best for them about how to expand their family. Those are both viable options. One is not necessarily better than another. We cannot make choices for what other people should and should not do in order to expand their family. So whether you choose surrogacy or whether you choose adoption, that is a personal choice. And we support people in making the choices that work best for themselves. You know, I am all about that. And then the last thing I want to say is that to those who are surrogates, oh my goodness, what an incredible gift you are giving a family. That is not a small sacrifice of what you're doing and what it takes, um, the emotional toll, um, how it affects you, how it affects your own family. So just thank you to all of, all of you out there who, who make that incredible gift of being a surrogate and helping people expand their family. All right. So there you have it. Do me a favor, share this podcast with a friend if you love it. And also be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to me and leave me a review in Apple podcast. It helps the show to grow, helps other women find the show. Do check out my class on how to make a birth plan the right way. I promise you, you will love it. Women love this class. Get some great, great information out of it. DrNicoleRankins.com forward slash register. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And remember, you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.